0: You're listening to the Phenom NHL Show on the Phenom Media Podcast Network, powered by the most passionate young sports analysts in the game. If you're looking for creative, informative, and high-quality sports content, you've come to the right place. Phenom Media boasts a team of over 100 youth contributors from around the world, covering every sport on every media platform. Make sure to follow Phenom on TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter, as well as all of the Phenom podcast channels for daily content. The link tree in the episode description includes a direct link to all of the aforementioned platforms, so click on that to access everything. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to subscribe and leave a positive review so more people can discover the podcast. Now, let's get to the show.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the seventh episode of the Phenom NHL show. I'm Jordan Mossberg with my co-host, Joe Franks. Uh, We've done six episodes before, and we're starting the West division. Um, Right now, we've gone over every. Division asked, gave some fun questions, some good reactions to to signings by every team. And then since the season started, we've been giving our, our takes on what's been going on. So right now we'll start with some news that's happened in this past week.
2: Before the news, though, I just find it funny that the last podcast we recorded, the Devils were playing a one o'clock Saturday game that they won in overtime. They're now playing a one o'clock Saturday game that's close to heading into overtime. thought that was a little cool tidbit.
1: Yeah, and speaking of overtime, I was just thinking about how it's really terrible as like a team standpoint. And as a fan, you love to watch, at least me, I love watching the three on three. It's fun. See a lot of like different strategies implemented. But if as watching as a fan and you see right now um the devils and the sabres are playing, that's three points that go on the table when when last season, if the the Devils are playing the Canucks and that game goes into overtime. If the Devils lose, they get one point. And as a fan of a a team in the Metro, that's only one point. Whereas now the Devils get one point and then the Sabres get two. So it's like a double whammy every game that goes into overtime.
2: Yeah, from like a viewing perspective, it's a lot of fun seeing them rush up and down the ice and kind of have puck possession as the main strategy where you can kind of hope where you catch them in a change. But from like an actual team perspective, this isn't a good way to go about it because one, it's not even consistent with what they do in the playoffs. Same with the shootout. I dislike the shootout. It's so much fun to watch, which is what they tried to do. And that's why they implemented it. So good for them there. But in terms of raw, like raw talent, it's not raw talent, but like, and how it should be played. Because if you can score in a three on three overtime or you win a shootout doesn't necessarily mean that you're the better team. Like, if you go out and win, you play better, you should win, not, oh, I got lucky, had a goalie who saved 28 of 29, and then stopped all three in the shootout, and we scored once. Like, it's kind of stupid, but it's also a lot of fun. So I'm not, like, complaining too much, but it's just, like,
1: yeah. uh, I think it, like, takes a team aspect kind of out of it. It's more of you just let your stars go out there and... A lot of like back and forth, kind of two on ones, three on ones, two on os, like breakaways. Whereas you can't, like, you can't kind of sit back. You kind of have everyone just going all out, and whoever can bury one on a on an odd man rush is the the team who's
2: going to win. One thing I've noticed about overtime is that the shifts are shorter. They don't play as long, unless they get caught in the D zone, where they just can't change. Sometimes they'll have all three people in. They'll have a clean carry in and they'll just, like, pull it back out in hopes of catching them in a change. Like, it's fun to watch, but it's not necessarily the best thing in determining which team should win.
1: Yeah, the Islanders did that a lot. I think maybe two years ago when they first had hired Barry Trotz, Barzell would just kind of, like, sit there, let the team change, and get a quick quick kind of good possession, but then teams started catching on and not not falling for it.
2: Yeah. All right, so now into the news of the week. Uh, The Blackhawks are having COVID issues. Uh, They don't have a game postponed now, but they could. DeBrinkett has COVID, and they had to cancel practice today. Uh, Kevin Fiala got a three-game boarded suspension. He pushed – I think it might have been Matt Roy into the boards. He pushed a Kings defenseman. Uh, Brian Dublin is out week to week with an injury. Uh, The Blackhawks, again, the news, they signed Madison Bowie. For two years, seven hundred twenty-five thousand per. At that cost, it's at, you can't lose at that cost if he becomes a solid contributor. So be it, and if he's not good, it's seven hundred twenty-five thousand. They'll they'll survive. Uh, the Sharks have to play in Glendale, Arizona, until the thirteenth of February, because of what the San Jose and San Francisco governments are doing. Uh, the Sharks made a trade with Ottawa. Uh, they got. Christian Jaros, who's pretty much a seventh defenseman, for a seventh round pick and a minor league player, Jack Kopaka, uh, Matt Calvert was out indefinitely with an injury. Hope he's getting better. They didn't specify it, which is something that they do in hockey. They don't specify injuries. Same thing with Jack Campbell. Just says out weeks with lower body. That could be leg, could be foot, could be ankle. So we don't know. Um, one of my favorite announcers, uh, John Forslund, got the crack play-by-play job. He's awesome uh he's so much fun to listen to he makes me actually like want to listen and want to be there uh pavel dorfiev of the vegas golden knights signed his entry-level contract probably will report to the minors and then evan rodriguez of pittsburgh is out longer term
1: yeah um and in some other news kind of related to uh evan rodriguez uh Philip Heddle is out four to six weeks with an injury. It, it hurts. He's a just good player for the Rangers. Good, like I don't know. I feel like he's been on their team forever, and he's always been, always been solid. Uh, Jim Rutherford resigned for Pittsburgh. What, what do you think about that move?
2: He, one thing I've noticed is that if he retired after he won the cups, he's a legend in the city they built statues of him he's known as the guy he waited and held out made a bunch of questionable moves and now his his legacy's kind of tampered like you see this is what he got fired for before he's held on too long but he's getting away just before not just before but before the team like completely collapses due to age like there's a rumor that he tried to trade Chris Latang in the past month I don't understand that. He's a franchise defenseman. Uh, I think they said that it wasn't like medical or anything. So that's good to hear. This was completely on his own, uh, completely out of his own decision. But uh, yeah, he's made a bunch of questionable moves recently. But uh, I don't know who they might bring in. They could bring in Botterill, but he wasn't good in Buffalo. So it'd be interesting to see their GM search.
1: Yeah, great. I think it's kind of like, it makes it interesting. Um, like you said, he won, he won cups there. It's kind of this team in our past episodes, we said how they're kind of at the end of their, their like mountain. We've that that metaphor a lot, but I like that he's kind of stepping away and you don't want him to take, to make a couple moves in a rebuild, especially considering like he got the team to the top. If you're going to make a rebuild, I think, Me personally, I think you should bring a new coach, new GM and let them do what they want and not have to worry about like lingering contracts, lingering moves that the past guy made, because that can always hurt them and limit their freedom. So while whoever they bring in is going to have to wait a couple of years, I think that it's it's better to start a rebuild with someone new than with the same the same GM.
2: agree with the gm not with the coach because i think sullivan's a really good coach but in most cases yes i would agree fire the coach fire get everyone out of there but i don't think they're going to rebuild just yet like we spoke about this prior in a previous uh, episode they're still a year or two away from really having to make tough decisions yeah
1: but this gives their whoever their new gm like two years to kind of set everything up and see and yeah i agree sullivan has Uh, been great and he he did win the cup so you can't can't knock him on that Uh, Vince Dunn he's in trade rumors uh, from St. Louis and this will be interesting he's a solid defenseman talk about a team in the in the east possibly uh, Boston maybe uh, Philly but yeah I think he's good defenseman and teams are going to need that especially in this season so I think his value's higher than it normally would be. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see see what happens there.
2: Yeah, Vince Dunn is a really good, really young defenseman. He's still on his – no, no, no. He signed his RFA deal this year. I think it was two years or something, very, like, not, not too long because they wanted to try to bring back Petrangelo. He's a really good young defenseman with really good uh, possession metrics. But one thing about him is that he's heavily sheltered. So his quality of competition is really low allowing him to thrive because he could play behind Petrangelo and now Krug. But I think they're asking for a first. I'm kind of on the fence about that because he's so young and so good, but we haven't seen him like play against elite competition and be a number one. We've seen it in number three minutes. So if he can get in the top pair, then yeah, I'd feel more than comfortable giving him a first and maybe a player. But as of right now, I'd be on the fence of giving a first.
1: Yeah, um, uh, John Chayka, he was the Coyotes' general manager. He was banned from the NHL for a year, just, just crazy. He's made some interesting moves, some good, some bad. But from from what I've read is he was kind of searching for another job while being under contract. And then also last year he, had, he was in the news a lot. I think they lost some draft picks because – they had illegal testing during the combine and then he quit on his team in the postseason. So just kind of not saying he would have been a great GM, but he kind of just threw his
2: career at the window with being like so eccentric. Yeah, John Chaka came into the league at 26 years old. So that was wildly young. He got the GM job, came out as this analytic guy. He uses analytics for everything, they said. I don't think one move he made actually used public analytics. Every, every public analytic disagreed with like 85% of his moves. He was not good at drafting. Even with the illegal testing, he still missed on Quinn Hughes, who was awesome as a rookie. And while Barrett Hayton still could be good, uh, it's, it's looking like a miss right now. He breached his contract, like you said, because he was looking for another job, which he'll get. He's a smart guy. And he quit on the postseason bubble. He just didn't go because that, that's when we figured the writing was on the wall. Uh, he wasn't good at drafting. He was okay with roster construction. He always built the team mediocre to slightly above mediocre. They've had one player develop in the last little bit, and that was Jacob Chitron, who's becoming a good defenseman. But he made a lot of bad signings. Like, he paid Clayton Keller... Clayton Keller eight years at like seven and a half per. I don't understand that. You don't pay guys based on what you think they're going to be at the age of 21. Like why sign a guy to an eight year deal at 21 if he's not generational which Keller isn't. Keller right now is looking like a second line winner. Uh, they picked up Phil Kessel strictly because of his relationship with Phil Tockett. Uh, that's a fine pickup. I don't log it. I think it was actually not that great. They tried to trade Oliver Eckman Larson, couldn't get any, couldn't get the value they felt like they deserved out of him, which I don't know what they were expecting considering he's getting older and is regressing at 29, is under contract for seven more years. Uh, The Hall trade was good in theory because they were really hot at that time and they were playing really well. So picking up an elite player like Taylor Hall. they didn't, like, give up that much. They gave up a bunch of third or fourth liners and a bunch of, like, B-plus prospects in a first for him, which was a really good pickup. But they just didn't re-sign him. So looking back, that trade looks really bad. Not really bad now, but it looks bad considering how they won a playoff series against Nashville because Nashville kind of tripped on themselves. But they got smacked by Colorado, I think it was. He was good with goalies though. He found Kemper and he found Ranta. But overall, his tenure was a disaster. From everything that he was in the news for, Mitchell Miller, too. I didn't even talk about that. All of the moves that he weren't good all of his drafting. He's I, I don't want to say he was a black eye on the league, but not only was he not good at his job, because he was like not he might have been fired like in a couple years if none of the bad stuff happened. And then you had all the bad stuff.
1: I think, like you were saying, like a black eye for the league. I think the biggest thing with this is that it's like the coyotes, and I'm not knocking them, but they do play in Arizona, and I don't there's not a lot of ice in Arizona. I mean, the weather's crazy and and I mean it's the desert. So I think it would be a lot bigger with all his questionable moves and kind of out there moves if it was maybe like a GM on the Maple Leafs or on like the Bruins or like a big team, the big hockey city. But I think because they kind of have a, a weaker fan base, I guess, um, and it's not as big in Arizona as in other places, I think it might go under the radar, which will be good for the league considering like you don't want teams thinking that or even fans thinking that every team can get away with. With doing like illegal draft testing or GMs kind of quitting because while it's terrible, it didn't, it wasn't as big as you would think if if someone else, if another big GM did it. Um, in other news, which happened, I think, I don't know if it happened Sunday after our podcast was released or right then, but it's a huge trade. And I think we did talk about this, but after Pierre-Luc Dubois requested a trade, the rumors obviously sparked that it would be um, him for Line, a, which would be exciting and a big blockbuster deal. And while it wasn't one for one, um, it was still it was still a big trade. It was Line a and Jack Roslovic for um, Dubois in a third. And then Roslovic ended up re-signing with Columbus. So what are your thoughts on this on this deal? I think um I think I think Columbus won I think while they did end up losing a good young center they they got more more players um and more like established players we don't that third round pick could turn out to be the next like Wayne Gretzky we don't know that but um as of now I think for like immediate success I like the the line A and Roslevic. I think they're two line a is obviously very good and Roslevic's a solid player. So I think they ended up winning, but, you know, it's going to be a good trade in maybe five years. We'll see, see how Dubois turns out. If, if he keeps his amazing play up or what happens. but yeah, we'll, we'll see how,
2: who this benefits in the future. Okay. So my thoughts, first off, I want to talk about blockbusters in the NHL rarely and I mean very rarely maybe once a year do you see a player that is quote unquote considered elite be moved like you saw Mark Stone Taylor Hall was moved but he was in the last year of his deal you saw Tavares sign rarely do moves like this happen so when it does happen it's a really big deal in the NHL it's not like basketball where if you go back five years like almost no one's on the same team like this is big news Columbus got Line and Rosslovik. Line has already shown that he could have generational finishing ability. So he could be a generational sniper. But Line has massive questions. People question his work ethic. People question his defense. People question literally everything outside of his, of his shot. So while he could end up being a better player, he is way more volatile than PLB. So his ceiling is like wildly higher. Like line a could become generational because he's still only like 22, 23. He's still really young. As of right now, he hasn't really shown that outside of his shot. So he could, he might just be a shot. Who knows? He might've already hit a ceiling. And if he's at a ceiling right now, he's probably like Mike Hoffman. But If Tortorella can get the most out of him, get his work ethic up, get him to play defense, I have zero doubt in my mind they won this trade, if that happens. Because they also got Roslevic, who could be a good middle six center. But I don't have faith in that. I don't have faith in line A developing an elite two-way game and being anything more than a 30-goal, 20-assist, 50-point guy, which at that point, he's Mike Hoffman. Which, if that's the case... You traded Pierre-Luc Dubois, who is already a low end one center. He's already that. At worst, he's a number two C that's like top three in the league. He's an elite playmaker. His defense is a little overrated because he's not that great on defense. But he gives Winnipeg center depth. They don't Winnipeg doesn't need line A. They don't need finishers. They need two way guys and playmakers, which Dubois isn't a two way guy, but he's a playmaker. And they got a third that can be whatever. That could be a boss. It could be a guy who's, we'll call it a contributor. If Line doesn't hit and Pierre-Luc Dubois progresses how he's been progressing and how he is right now, there's no doubt in my mind Winnipeg wins the trade. So right now it's really up in the air. One thing I find funny though is that they both wanted to go to bigger markets. That was like the main reasons they cited. And then they ended up going to pretty small markets in Winnipeg. Winnipeg's not a big market, even in Canada, and neither is Columbus. So I found that funny that they kind of got, like, the short ends of the sticks in terms of markets. But in terms of raw player value, if I had to pick a winner, I'll say I'll say Columbus now because I have two NHL-ready contributors. But if Line A doesn't develop or doesn't develop that much more, I think Winnipeg will win, and this will go down as a really bad trade.
1: Yeah, and they were also picked um, two and three, I find that interesting um, because while Dubois really had a great career thus far, and it's only been like three, four years, and this is his fourth season, and he's put up amazing numbers, he's he's never kind of been that guy. Liney, even from his rookie year, he was he was it was like Matthews, and then barely like half a step below was Line when they were rookies competing for the Calder. And I think that kind of goes to like their role on the team where you had Line as kind of Winnipeg's future, their star. And then uh, Columbus had like Duchesne for a little Panarin. Um, they had all these players. So Dubois was in their shadow. But then last year when they let him shine, you saw how great he was. And also like he had, he, he had a hat trick in the playoffs against Toronto. And I think, Anyone kind of beating Toronto is going to get respect from all over the league. So I think now it'll be his chance to, well, like Joe says, it's not that big of a market. It'll still be his chance to kind of get get his name out there more and build up his brand.
2: Yeah. You mentioned Matthews and Lina, how they were picked one and two. That was a really big thing at that time. Because while Matthews was a clear number one, it's been in the media a lot. Laine was on the cover of a video game, and so was Matthews. They were both on the cover of NHL. But uh, that's been a big thing. That's always been a big debate. And where Laine's development has kind of stagnated in Winnipeg the last year or two, Matthews has taken off. Matthews is a top five center, top seven at worst. And Laine is, like, I I don't want to put on, like, a number on where he is in wingers but he isn't Matthews and isn't on his level. Uh, I remember there was an interview. They interviewed Kekeleinan, the Columbus GM, right after the trade happened. And someone asked him, how hard was it to move the number three pick? And he gave the greatest response ever. Who goes, it wasn't pretty hard considering how I got the number two pick in the draft. So that was a pretty funny move. But uh, as of right now, I'd say Columbus won just because they have two NHL players. So at this current moment, while they're 22-23, I'll say they won, but this is a big check back in five years, see where they are, because Dubois could be a superstar, and so could Laine. Uh,
1: now we should move on to the teams of this episode. So right now we're going to be talking about San Jose, Los Angeles, Anaheim, and Vegas. Um, so what do you think about about the Sharks? They, they kind of fell off a cliff. Um, they If I remember two years ago in the playoffs, it was the third period and they got a pretty bad game seven. They're up, I think five. I don't know the exact score, but they gave up like three or four goals on a.
2: What happened? It was the other way around. They scored four goals because Pavelski got cross checked in the face. Oh, they, but they did. they, They beat Vegas. Yeah. So what happened was they were up. Vegas was up 4-1. Jose like was dead to rights. After a face-off, Pavelski got high-sticked in the face, had a four-minute major. So they scored. They tied up the game. I don't know. They took the lead 5-4. And then Marcioso tied it with 45 seconds left. And they won in overtime. My burning hot take is that if they lose that game like they should, their GM is fired. Because if you look at the roster construction right now, because outside of that, they went on to go pretty deep into the playoffs. That was the first or second round, I think. I think it was the second round. So let's call that, if they lose that game, they left, they're left. they left with nothing to show for the last couple of years. They lost uh, Thornton, who was a face of their franchise. I don't know how you let him go. You do everything in your power. I don't care what you have to say to convince him. But then you look at their roster construction, it's horrific. No depth, overpaying so many guys. But, like, they can't even rebuild because none of those guys have value. They're already way too deep into Eric Carlson. They've hit him eight, million, eight years, 11 and a half per. No idea what he did to deserve that contract because he hasn't been healthy in the last two years. Brent Burns' contract sucks. Mark Edward Flassett's contract sucks. sure just signed his contract, and it sucks. Kane got his contract, went bankrupt, and isn't like that good. And he is good, but he could regress pretty heavily considering his style of play. They have zero goaltending, zero death. I want them to rebuild because that makes sense. Their players are getting older, they're on bad contracts. But who's taking these players? San Jose would have to eat half their contract for anyone to even touch half their players. And they didn't have their first rounder this year that became number five. That was Jake Sanderson. They have no goaltending. They're trying to compete with a roster that isn't good. Their roster just isn't good enough to compete. So I, I, don't, I don't understand it, what their direction is. They're trying to compete, but they're not good, and they can't rebuild. They are in the worst situation in the NHL because they're relying on Martin Jones and Devin Dubnik to try to bail them out nightly because half their team is barely NHL players, maybe AHL, and then you have top-end guys who aren't top-end guys anymore because of age or injury. So I genuinely don't know what they're doing. I don't know how their GM hasn't been fired. He's stuck around way too long. And I just, I just don't understand it. I don't understand why teams aren't quicker to fire their GMs. They fired their coach uh, last year. They brought in Bob Buebner. And one thing Buebner does is he plays his top players together, which in theory makes sense, considering that if your players play together with more skilled guys, they'll, they'll be more skilled. While that works in theory. They had zero depth, and LeBanc took a one million dollar contract. Everyone was like, "Oh my gosh, that's such a steal!" And he wasn't good. Timo Meyer is good, but he is good. He's about his contract. They don't have any good quote unquote contracts. Thomas Thomas Hurdle is awesome, but he tore his ACL and is about to prime at twenty seven. So many bad contracts. I feel bad for the fans of this team because they can't. They they just didn't win when their window was there. Now their window is slammed, so this team's just frustrating. That's that's the best yeah. word I can use.
1: Yeah, I have to agree. Like you said, Brent Burns is getting like eight years, eight million, and last year was a minus twenty-two. So yes, he had forty-five points, which is good, but like really, you want a defenseman that's plus-minus is minus twenty-two? Like that's terrible. And he's been in the league since I was born. Like he's he's. He's not that old, but I mean, he's 35, that's pretty old, but he's been in the league for, like, 17 years. It's just crazy. Like, they're paying him a lot. They're paying Carlson a lot. And it's like, like you said, it's not a future move. You're not – like, you've burned for, like, four or five more years. He's going to be 40 by the time that contract ends. Like, what, Char is the only player over 40 in the league? So, like, they're kind of in the direction, and I don't want to say in the direction because they're not – but these contracts make it seem like, Oh, we got We're this is our, like, this is our time. We're going to compete for the next two years, but the players just aren't, aren't there. They're not going to compete. Like, like you said, I think Kane's done for the year and he was never, he was always like, okay. And kind of like a bigger, bigger name for than what he is. And especially now, like he's basically blown all his money from uh, gambling and giving it away so he's bankrupt so that's just worse publicity their team's not that good and yeah i think there's like we said some teams like oh you can wait like we we talked about pittsburgh earlier oh they can wait and see what to do in a rebuild but pittsburgh still is going to make the playoffs this year they still have Sidney crosby denny malkin and a solid young goalie this team they have terrible goaltending and they don't have like Sidney crosby they don't have that player they have solid players, but they're not worth the amount they're making for the length that they're making it. So, yeah, they have no direction. And like I just said, some teams might have no direction, but they're still like kind of, I guess, like deciding what their direction is. This team, their direction should be up from the moves they made, but it can't be because they're just not good. So, yeah, they're
2: not 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 doing well. Yeah, this team, like – you mentioned the Penguins, they still have time. This team doesn't have time. This team's window, theoretically based on the players and the name value and the contracts that they're getting, their window should be now and it should be closing within the next couple of seasons. But after last season, it is slammed. Like they might have some crazy renaissance here where if everything goes right, they're a second round exit. That's if they get good goaltending and all their players come healthy and magically turn back the clock. That's not happening. They have so many bad contracts. What might end up happening is they they could luck into like multiple first overall picks, do like some Edmonton type thing, while these old guys are like thirty nine. They're like changing the guard, but like it. Steve <laughs> just infuriating. They don't have goaltending. They have three of the most overpaid defensemen. They have overpaid forwards. No depth. Like theoretically. Turn the clock back to 2018, 2019. Their window's still there. They're still a good team. But after what I saw last year, this team just, there's nothing. Their old guys are really old. They don't play any sort of defense. They have three of the worst defensemen defensively. Like Burns doesn't play defense. Carlson is a shell of himself. And that hurts because I love Carlson. But injuries have just killed him. Killed his athleticism. He has generational, like, instincts and generational passing. But there are times where he would just get beat by someone just skating just around him. And you have Brent Burns, who has never been a defenseman. He was a forward converted to defenseman. Takes so many shots. Plays zero defense, like you said, minus 22. The velocity contract is bad. Like, they're, they're, they're a team that theoretically should be competing and still should be elite. But they're just not like they're closer to a first pick than they are first round of the playoffs. And who knows, they could end up with the first pick this year because they're that bad. But this team is just infuriating.
1: A team that kind of, I guess, played their cards perfectly in a sense, um, the Kings and they went, Jonathan Quick was like the best goalie in the league. Uh, Maybe not. I mean, he was one or two in the league I think they won two cups, maybe two or three cups. Like they were, they were that team, and then it, it fell apart. And then now they're just going straight into a rebuild. And they got Byfield, who's well, he's he's a great talent. Um, we I think the sample size is too small to say any that like that much about him. But he's a, a good talent. Kopitar still, he's still Kopitar. Um, he's he's not as good as he was, but he's he's not a shell of himself and. Well, maybe in a couple years, he might be, they they still have time with him to mentor these younger guys, but yeah, I think they got some not terrible contracts, not terrible players on their team. And yeah, it's like the team that they once were, they're not going to be that team for maybe two or three years, but I feel like they are in a situation right now where with good management, they can, they can be up for the cup with a whole different core, but do a,
2: the rebuild correctly and and be successful so if the Sharks have an F grade for direction and like time to rebuild and how it's going the Kings are probably an A- minus. they have a, a really deep prospect pool we're going to bring that up later uh, within our question segment that we like to do like they traded to Foley the Kings make moves that need to be made like Walter Foley had spent his whole career there he's loved it was the right move to move him because he didn't fit the team anymore. He was getting older. And they got Tyler Madden, who's a really good prospect. But uh, they have they drafted Byfield at two. Byfield's awesome. I think he'll be a star. Not stud. I think he'll be a star. Kopitar is still awesome. Like He's still really, really good. But then they also have some really good young players like Gabe Villardi. Uh, Tobias Bord, uh, uh Akil Thomas—they have really good young players that could make an impact. They only have—I have two issues with the team. And while they've been really good at moving on from players that need to be moved on from, they needed to get rid of Quick. That's five million dollars for a goalie that just doesn't fit the timeline. They need to play Peterson more, which they're starting to do, but Quick is. Getting older, he's had knee surgeries. He isn't what he was. He's not stealing games anymore. And then Drew Dowdy's there. If you take the Drew Dowdy contract off the team and just free up that $11 then yes, this rebuild is an A+. But his contract, for what he is right now, where he is just getting ran in five-on-five, and is pretty much just a power play point collector, and just a point collector... He just isn't worth that. He's the reason Eric Carlson got paid as much as he did. Dowdy set the market for Carlson, and he's setting the market for other young defensemen. So guys like Haskinen, Hughes, McCarr, you might think get 8-9 in the open market, they're going to get 12, probably 11-12. But outside of Dowdy and Quick, this has been an elite rebuild because they're going to be back on the rise within a couple of years. And even with Dowdy and Quick's contract, they're still going to be elite. But those two contracts—the only reason why I'm not like absolutely dying over this rebuild—like there's still work to be done. But it's trending up. It's heading in the right direction, and I think they're pushing the right buttons.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, everything you said. Like the Dowdy move, it just kind of—I don't want to say dumb, but it just like hurts everything because they're going to want to have a bunch of young good players and then you're just going to have this like old guy taking up the majority of the cap space and while he's still a very solid defenseman it's he's not worth 11 million and considering that they're they're going to be in a big rebuild i don't i don't love the kind of 11 million aspect of a defenseman who might not be your number one defenseman in in three years
2: yeah i feel that same way like dowdy was really good and if you're getting prime dowdy then yeah, that's the contract. But I don't like paying guys past their prime what they're worth in their prime. Like I know players demand that, but that's just it's not a positive move. Like it doesn't help roster construction to pay thirty-four year old number three defenseman eleven million dollars because he was a number one five years ago. So like that doesn't make sense. But they're still they're still heading the right direction. They're still doing the right things. But uh, another team. That I have a little more questions about for their rebuild is the Anaheim Ducks, because they're they're rebuilding, right? They're, they're not trying to necessarily hide it because they're starting to get rid of older players. Corey Perry left a couple years ago. But they're not all-out rebuilding, which I don't get. If you're going to rebuild, rebuild right. Rebuild the right way. Rebuild by trading all of your old players. Ricard Raquel shouldn't be here. Neither should Silverberg. I want to say Gibson shouldn't be just off of his talent and what he, they could get back, but he's too good to trade because without him, they are not good. But with him, they're awesome. He's still relatively young, so he could be there for the next rebuild or for the next teams. But, like, they have Getzloff, they have Henrique, They don't need to be there. But, like, their direction kind of confuses me because they're rebuilding, but they're not fully rebuilding. So like they're not good enough to get they're not bad enough to get a top five pick or top three they could get five but they're not good enough to compete for the playoffs even though they're playing like fine they're playing like almost playoff hockey right now I wouldn't be shocked if they sell at the deadline they could trade uh they could trade Raquel they could trade uh Silverberg Gibson will stay Zegers looks awesome Zegers might be the best prospect in the world like the best team-affiliated prospect, he might be number one. But this team, they're still, they're still a little bit out. So I'd be interested to see what their next couple moves are.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, talking about, like, LA, they kind of – they're doing – they only really have two kind of older players who get like, – like we just said, Dowdy and Quick. They don't need them, and they pay them too much. Whereas Anaheim might have, like, a handful of them. And it's going to be interesting to see what they do. But I think with Trevor Zegrass, like he stole the show of the world juniors. Um, he was by far the best player. And I think with him, the future, it's going to look really good and they should try and keep him. So, I mean, I'll keep him long-term uh, and build around him. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do with like players like Raquel. He's it's only 27. So be interesting if they want to kind of keep these older players or kind of bring a younger base around Zgrass, but they're kind of in like no man's land right now but um in a way similar to san jose it but i don't want to say that because they still have some sort of future and they don't have nearly as bad of contracts so i think it's a it's almost a similar spot but it's more of like a like, you can tell there's a future there. They just kind of make the moves to to go into a full rebuild, whereas San Jose can't make those moves.
2: Yeah, like, Anaheim still, they could, if they choose to go into a full rebuild, they could. San Jose can't. LA already did. I want to say Anaheim's kind of like a middle ground between those two teams because they have an elite prospect while also having bad contracts. Not necessarily bad, but contracts with players that they don't necessarily need anymore. They're just there because they've been there. They drafted Drysdale, which I love. They need an elite prospect at defenseman to pair with uh, Zegris. I think Drysdale can be that. I like Drysdale as the best defenseman in the class. He moves the puck well. He skates well. Screams power play. He screams 40, 45-point player and like 23 minutes a night while being positive and five on five. So this team would be interested to see. Like I said, I want to see what their next couple moves are because I think that will really dictate whether they're trying to make a run at it with the core they have now or whether they're going to sell off. So I'd be interested to see. I think that they could collect picks. Like they traded Nick Ritchie and Andre Kalsha to the Bruins, I think. Yeah, to the Bruins. So they were selling their got some picks and prospects back. But uh, I think this team is further out than L.A. is but closer than San Jose. I think they're the median between the two.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Now to the first good team, I guess, of this <laughs> this episode, Vegas. Um, you know, when they, I think Vegas is an interesting team just because of, like, where they are. And they came from, this is what, their third season or fourth season, and, like, they're already this possibly the best team in the league and i don't know it kind of just like rubs me the wrong way because like why the the expansion draft just allows them to and i don't know if there are going to be any changes for the the kraken but it was their first season and they made the cup like that's kind of a problem but aside from that they're amazing um they got Alex Petrenzlo this offseason, great defenseman. I mean, probably top three defensemen in the league. Great talent. Pac Shiretti. He's He's still solid. Stone's good. And then like so has been always been solid for them. Probably the best goalie tandem in the league. Um, with Leonard not getting paid too much, and Flurry, who's always been good, but yeah, they're just a good team. And I think without a doubt they'll make the playoffs. I think without a doubt they'll easily get to the second round. Very good chance they make it to the the semifinals. If that's I don't I'm not sure how they, they're gonna do it. They might do like another receipt, but they they have a the great core to make a cup. They have solid depth, solid
2: goaltending, and yeah. Okay, so my thoughts on Vegas. They added Petrangelo, which is awesome. Anytime you can bring in a top player like Petrangelo, you do it. Even though they're going to pay him until he's 37, 38 at, 10 per, at like nine or 10 per, it's worth it. He's awesome. He was top three in Norris. There's a case for him, although he shouldn't have won it. They have top end talent, so they're a fun team to watch. They have Marcia so, like you said, Stone, who's a top three winger. He's the best defensive forward in the league and is also elite, elite offensively. They have Marsh So, they have him, they have Smith, they have Petrangelo, they have underrated Shea Theodore. They have good goaltending. I'm lower on Flurry than most, but I still think that they have good goaltending. If Laner can be like a really, really good goalie like he was with the Islanders a couple years ago, I think this team could go on a cup run I think they're one of the. I think they're in the tier of favorites. They're in the Lightning Avalanche tier with Boston. Uh, I would speaking of the Avalanche, I would love to see an Avalanche Knights rivalry. I think that they're going to be two of the best teams for the, a little while. I think they're going to play a lot. They're going to play each other a lot in the playoffs. They're going to play each other a lot. They're going to be both really good. It'll be a fun thing to watch. One player that needs to step up is Cody Glass. It was their first ever draft pick in 17. And he hasn't really done much at the pro level. I think he can. He's talented. I'd like to see that. But like you mentioned with the expansion draft, they played it well and they took advantage of GMs just not being smart and not being good. Like they would trade like the rights to not pick a player for a player and a pick, which is what scares me about the Kraken. Because if you look at the Kraken's like personnel, they have, really good, they have a really good uh, front office. And I think... There's a lot of players that are really good that could be left unprotected. like so kind of scares me a little. So I think that they could be like a Vegas, but with Vegas alone, they're a really elite team. They're in the cup contenders. I think if they don't at least make the conference finals, it's a disappointment of a year.
1: Yeah, I agree. And like you said, I think the Avalanche and Knights, they have stars now but then they also have a future so you know playing each other 10 times this year it'd be interesting to see if things do start getting a little a little chippy and if you go into a playoff series with hate it always it always is going to make it better so yeah i think that if if these if they don't like each other it'll be interesting when they play and it won't just be a, a crummy rivalry it'll be a rivalry that plays in the western conference finals has a chance for it every year and it'll just, it'll just improve the game and make it more fun to watch
2: as a fan. Yeah. It could be like the Blackhawks and Red Wings of like, like 2010 where they were both all, they were both awesome. They were both playing each other a lot. They would fight a lot. Games would always be competitive. Blackhawks won an overtime in a playoff series. Do you, I, I want to see some great moments out of these teams. I think they could, uh, I think that they can both be really good for a really long time. And I'd like to see that happen because I think the NHL does need more rivalries. Like you have a bunch of like majors, you have a couple major, you have Edmonton, uh, Calgary, you have Toronto versus Toronto's media and Toronto versus game sevens. But like, there isn't like other massive rivalries. I think the ads and Knights could become a really big rivalry. And I I'd love to see that.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, now we'll go to the questions part, which is always fun. So my first question would be: We kind of just spoke about this, but what do you think Vegas should do with their goalies? They have Flurry, they have Leonard. I think Leonard's getting five million a year. Um, so, like, what do you think? What do you think should happen?
2: You play Leonard. You play the better goalie. Leonard is a better goalie than Flurry. I put that tweet out before Game Seven. I said Leonard was a better goalie, and that got so much hate. So that was kind of funny because Laner went out and won the game and they started him instead of Flurry. Flurry's agent did like the sword in Flurry's back. Like, no. Flurry's good, not that good. Laner's an elite goalie. Flurry's like average. Flurry's a name value at this point. Like in that meme of him getting stabbed in the back, there's a beach ball going behind him, which I thought was kind of funny. And I think. They could leave Flurry unprotected in Seattle's draft because Laner's just that much better. Flurry's going to be a backup. If you play the better goalie, which is Laner, and you play him more, that makes Flurry a backup, which means he's expendable because you don't protect a backup goalie unless it's an elite prospect like uh, Jake Odinger or someone of that caliber. So, yeah, I think they played Lehner. play Laner. Play Laner as much as you want. He doesn't have that much tread because he split time with Grice and then in Chicago split time with Crawford. So I think you play Laner.
1: Yeah, I agree. I love, like I'm an Islander fan. So love Leonard, but he's definitely, he's got a better contract. And like you said, he's kind of, he, he made a resurgence when he obviously had all the, all the troubles and then Islanders took a chance on him and it paid off big time. And then he just signed an amazing contract. So he's not Mark Andre Fleury who. I mean, from the second I started watching hockey, he was like the winner. I mean, he won he won with he he won with Pittsburgh and I think it might have been when they first won in like 2011. And then although he wasn't as big, he still won the two cups uh, kind of as in a more similar to like a backup role, but he still played. But yeah, I have to agree. I think that the media trouble and the trouble that came from his agent, while it is bad, you're you're as a coach, as a GM, as whatever, your goal is to win. It's not to please people. And while it might kind of tear the relationship with their like, in a way, they're like the heart of that team because um, you knew the second they announced the expansion draft and they announced Vegas that it was like known that flurry was going to be their goalie and he was kind of their player and while yet they had other successful players they weren't nearly as big as him at the time of the draft so i think that they got a better goalie and it just kind of it sucked but they kind of had to have to ruin that relationship with flurry
2: yeah it's a business like i'm going to use that line it's a business and flurry is getting older Already is old, and they played Laner over him, so they already they do value Laner better, and they do value Laner more, and they think he's better, so he might just be scooped up by Seattle, or Seattle might not even take him, but uh, they they should roll with Laner. He's better, plays more. Simple.
1: As yeah, that. another another goalie question, but what do you think Gibson could do um, on Anaheim? Like, what do you think his value? for this team, both in the future and both right now, success-wise, is?
2: Gibson's future is paramount to the team because they don't have an elite goalie prospect. So if Gibson decides – Gibson's been one of the best goalies of the last half decade, been top five. He's been consistent. He's been just really good and consistent. That's all you can ask for in a goalie. It's consistency because you don't get that out of that position. He provides so much value to the team at the moment right now and in the future will provide value due to the fact that he's not that old. Can, I, can he carry the team? Uh, the division's not that tough. Like, you have Colorado, who's probably a playoff team, Minnesota, who's a borderline playoff team, St. Louis, who's a playoff team, and you have San Jose, who's not, L.A., who's not, Anaheim, maybe, and Vegas, yeah. So they could compete for the fourth seed with Minnesota. I think Minnesota is a better team, but I wouldn't rule it out that Anaheim could make the playoffs this year. And I know I spoiled my playoff predictions, but uh, I think that they he could carry them to the playoffs this year just out of sheer will.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I think he can definitely bring the team close to the playoffs. And yeah, I agree with what you said. I don't know how confident I would be to to put my money on that they're making the playoffs, but at the same time, like with him in net, it, it's going to make it possible. Put, an, not like put another goalie in and of a lesser caliber, like their chances are basically none. So we, we kind of spoke about LA and how, good their rebuilds going so do you think they have the best prospect pool in the, in the league right
2: now yes I do I think it's better than Colorado because Byram graduated or is going to so I'm not counting Byram Lafreniere uh, graduated I think they do they have one of the best uh, affiliated prospects they have Velarde they have uh, Kapari they have Thomas they have Bjorn Fott they have a really damn good pool. And I think it's the best in the league.
1: Yeah. I'm going to agree with you. They had just their players, like the impact they kind of made on games in the world juniors for, which is the best prospects. Um, Right. Arthur Kaliev, he scored the game winning goal for even
2: him. I didn't even mention him. That's how deep their pool is.
1: Um, Tarkov's been good. So yeah, they're in great situation. And, Good for good for their management. Yeah. What do you think about Carlson and Burns? Is there are they done with their prime? Is there maybe a little sliver to come back to the peak? Or yeah, what are your takes?
2: Okay, I don't want to rule it out that they could have one year. I don't think they'll ever come back unless I think Carlson can because he has the raw talent of coming back and his issue is injuries, if he can fully recover, which at this point I don't think is going to happen because he is old and has already had massive surgeries, I'm not betting on him coming back, but I think he's more likely to come back, and I think he's more likely to be better, and he'll have more time. I don't want to say Burns is done, because Burns could have one crazy year of puck luck where he gets, like, a bunch of goals off of shooting a stupid high percentage, but he's close to done. He doesn't play defense anymore. I, I I don't want to say it's the end of the road, but it, it's close. It, it's really close to the end of the road. I don't think they'll peak again. I, if I had to pick someone to peak, it'd be Carlson. I don't think it'll happen, though. I would love to be wrong. I love Carlson. I like Burns. But I, I, I don't think it's going to happen, which is sad. Yeah, I agree. I don't think... And if you look at, like, their
1: peak form, it was, like, Norris winning, like, absurd numbers for defensemen. And I just think on this team, it's, it's just not going to happen. And, well, it's kind of, I guess, in a way sad that they're way past their prime, but it's just just reality.
2: Yeah, like, it's, it's just sad. It's, like you said, it's reality. Uh, do you think Logan Couture and some of the other forward core can carry this team to the playoffs? Not at all. Uh, the the one, two, and three are
1: basically on lock, um, in my opinion, with Colorado, Vegas, and St. Louis. And I just think, I mean, actually, I don't. I think I think they can. I think if you look at the other teams, I'm gonna I'm gonna retake what I just said. But the the other teams at the bottom of the division are just weak and it's going to be um, it's going to be what five teams fighting for one spot it's pretty fair to say LA isn't making the playoffs I think they know that and while like we said they have terrible contracts and like we just said Carlson and Burns aren't going to come to peak form they still kind of have some star power and I mean I think they might be able to to possibly make the playoffs and when they do that I do think they'll get swept in the first round if that <laughs> happens but I still think that because of the division
2: they're in and how weak it is they, they could do it better question would you take them or Anaheim right now as a team to make the playoffs
1: right now I'd, I'd probably I'd probably take them interesting I think a lot can change but I just think that I just think they got a i I like their chances a little better
2: interesting because like you said the question was can they can can churn the forward core and just can they make the playoffs i don't think so i'm gonna say no you you had no and then you changed it i'm gonna firm no i think minnesota is a better team i think i posed the anaheim question i think anaheim is honestly better because i'd rather bet on a goaltender getting hot than a whole team getting hot and there, Anaheim isn't a slouch team, so I think San Jose is probably the sixth or seventh best team in this division. I'm not ruling out them making the playoffs, but I'd rather take Minnesota or Anaheim.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think, I think, I, like I did, I said this, but in such kind of like kind of bad teams fighting for a spot, I don't know how likely it is, but like it's a possibility, and I wouldn't be shocked if they slipped into the four seed.
2: Yeah, I'm not rolling it out, but I'm not banking on it. So my next question is, is Ante Kopitar a top 10 center?
1: I feel like that's like a, a good number. Like, I don't want to say yes, but then at the same time, you, you can't really can't really say no. Like, he's, he's a great player, and top 10 might be a little much, but then I guess you could say, like, I don't know, top 11, and – like he's been pretty solid 60 points last year or 62 points last year in 70 games, which is, which is good. And no, it's like a good kind of even split 21 and 41 uh, goals to points up that goals and assists. But, you know, I still think he's his skill wise, he could be a top 10 center, but it's all the people around him. And while, if you put him on another team, I could definitely say yes. I think the situation he's in, it's hard for me to like definitely say yes. I want to say yes
2: because I think he's probably a better player than John Tavares is at the moment. He's worse than Matthews, worse than Eichel, worse than McDavid, worse than Seidel. But when you get like to around ten, it's like this is like a good range for him. He's not elite offensively, but he's really great like you said 61 points something around that number or 62 and he's a two-way demon dude is awesome at defense so i wouldn't off the top of my head i wouldn't call him a top 10 but if you look into it a little deeper there's a legitimate argument that he could be a top 10 center so uh, my next question is what happens to shea theodore Because they signed Petrangelo and Theodore was a trendy breakout pick before they signed him, and now they signed him, and Petrangelo has kind of just taken what Theodore was supposed to be this year.
1: Yeah, well, I feel like it's it's he's kind of losing like his his pull, I guess you could say, with the team not being like their their best defenseman. But he's still only twenty five, and like uh, we said before, Petrangelo's got a long term deal, and he's he's definitely in his prime. Uh, 31 right now so I think there are two things that could come of this either Theodore could kind of see the competition and get like offended in a way that they they're they aren't putting like all their marbles into him or he can say like you know Petrangelo's one of the best defensemen in the league like I'm gonna let him be my mentor and then the two of us can maybe when he's kind of towards the end of his career when Petrangelo is then Theodore can pick it up so it depends on his mindset but what I think what he should do is he should you know he should let Petrangelo be his mentor and just improve his stock even more and become even better of a player
2: I would agree with you you're getting mentored by an elite defenseman it's only going to help him so I think that he, he'll, he'll grow and he'll become better. I think if it comes to the point where he's like an elite defenseman, but they're not playing him and he's like 26, 27, due for a payday, then yeah, I'd leave or I'd request out if he's not due for a payday and he's still the on the second pair. If they need to, they can just play him with Petrangelo. Like you can't rule that out. But uh, I think for the next at least two years, he should sit back or the next year. You should sit back and see where he is. If if he becomes a top 10 defenseman, then yeah, I'd leave and get my money. But as of now, no, I'd stay. So uh, the last question of the day, who could the Ducks sell at the deadline? Because I don't think they're a playoff team. And I've said, I spoke about this a lot earlier on the podcast. i would said I wanted to see what they would do like at the deadline. The next couple moves would really dictate the like what direction they're going in. I think they could be sellers at the deadline. Who do you think are some guys that they could sell and have some good returns for?
1: I think you talked about this earlier, but I don't know if it would necessarily be a good return, but maybe just like help the team would possibly be moving Raquel and or Silverberg. Um, Like they got solid deals at five and six years. And I wouldn't be surprised if they kind of, help another team maybe clear up cap space and take like older players or worse contracts, not terrible contracts, but not, but like four year deals for players that are not good. And then possibly take like, like a couple picks and kind of help a team that is looking more for success now. And then they could be a team that could take those two picks and take that old player whose contracts up in a year and then kind of clear up the cap space and then pass and then sign their bigger names and have the cap space for Zgras and company. Whoever I, would they
2: agree. I would agree. I think that I think they should at least sell off silver to the deadline. If he's playing well, if he's not, then just hold on. They should sell off some of their older guys. I'm not like fully advising it. I'd like to see where they are. If they could make the playoffs, then I'd keep it, just let it play out. But as of right now, no, I would, I would stay, and I would just let it play. But I wouldn't be shocked if they move Raquel. If they move Raquel, they need at least a pick or a prospect. I think they could get that, but uh, I think one of those two could be moved.
1: Yeah, so I think that's going to wrap up our episode. Um, Tune in next week. That'll actually, and sadly, be our, our eighth and final episode. And, you know, maybe we'll make that episode a little more interesting. We'll go into more detail of what we think, like favorites for the Cup and how the playoffs could go. But, yeah, thank you for tuning in.